thine, O Lord. We'll look at that tonight. I had announced back, I don't know, last month, that uh, one of the things I wanted to do this year, there are a number of songs in our songbook about being holy, living a holy life, etc. We sing these quite a bit. Um, and I wanted just to not look at every lyric within these songs by any means, but to single out things, especially as they related to our theme, just to kind of, you know, go back over some of these songs we know so well, and that maybe, if you're like me anyway, when you sing these songs a number of times, you, you, you know, so much so that you don't need a book to sing them, you can kind of forget the, the words. You can just sort of be singing the song and going along with it, and your mind wanders. And if we do that, we're doing ourselves an injustice, and certainly we're not doing what the Lord would want us to do in, in our worship to Him. So this is good sometimes to go back to the songs, and at least it does me, to reflect upon the words. So as we look at this song, and open up your songbook if you will, I, I probably do every one of these different, uh, and I won't follow the same format by any means that I did last month. Tonight I thought what I would do is I want to look at each verse, I'm going to read the lyrics together. You can read them along with me in your, in your books. And then I want to single out, in each case, a phrase that stands out and relates to the theme. That will become obvious as we get into it. So let's look at verse 1. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I longed, I knew something was wrong, I longed to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. And then we'll look at the chorus last. As we look at this first verse, one of the things that stands out to me, and as I was looking at this and, and preparing this lesson, I thought one of the things that stands out to me about this song and has for a while is, I am thine, O Lord. In other words, I belong to God. I belong to Him. I've been, and I, that started my mind running, and perhaps yours as well, I've been bought with a price. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. I've been redeemed is the idea. I belong to Him. And I believe that realizing, and when we really come to have a, a deep realization of the fact that we belong to God, that's maybe the first great step we take past obeying the gospel like we were talking about this morning. The first great step we take toward becoming and, and maybe toward the process of becoming holy in our lives, uh, again, holification, if you will, but the first great step we take is to realize that, you know what, I belong to God. That's the concession I made when I obeyed the gospel. I knew that the cost of forgiving my sins was that I was going to belong to Him. Sometimes people use the phrase, accepting Christ as your Savior. Nothing wrong with the phrase, as long as you understand what that means. Accepting Him means He is my Savior. I belong to Him now. I'm giving my life to Him. There's a passage, and I'd like for you to turn with me, and I'll kind of go back and forth between the songbook and the Bible. But if you look at Mark chapter 9, and this is interesting, Mark records, and I think he's the only one in this account of this story. Um, Wes can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think this is the only account that does this. But if you look at Mark 9, and down in about verse 41, now... This is one of those occasions where, you know, the question is being posed, who's the greatest, and all of that kind of thing. Down in verse 41, for whosoever, I think I got the one, yeah, for whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink, notice, in my name, and then notice the phrase, Jesus said, because 
you belong to Christ. Verily I say unto you, he shall not lose the reward. It's almost one of those phrases that seems to be stuck in there, and if you're not careful, you kind of read over it. The main point of the passage, and Jesus talking to the apostles and all of that. But just notice again that phrase. Whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ. In the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, but really throughout the Bible, God singles out his people and says, you, of all the people on the earth, all people are mine, but you especially are mine. You belong to me. You see, this song looks at it from the other side. This song doesn't look at it from the standpoint of, God says I belong to him. This song pledges, I am thine, O Lord. I'm yours. I belong to you. And you know, a lot of people are familiar with the story in the Bible, the whole story of salvation, the story of Jesus Christ, etc. A lot of people hear the story. And some people even begin to live the story. That is, they, like we were talking about this morning, they maybe come down front at the end of a church service, or at some point they're studying with somebody, and they're baptized or whatever. A lot of people begin the story. But few people truly experience the story. Let me talk about what I mean for that for a moment. I mean by that for a moment. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Here's the story of Christianity. Granted, this is one passage. But here's the experience, if you will, of Christianity. Paul is in prison, unjustly. Not right that he is there. He would have right, if you will, to complain. He would be totally right in saying this isn't fair. If he had written a letter to the Philippians and said... You know, this is four years of this mess. It's not right. You know, these people are crooked, etc., etc. He would have that right. We would say you're justified in saying all that, but he doesn't. He writes a letter that's filled with joy. He writes a letter that's been called the Epistle of Joy. About 17 times he talks about the joy or rejoicing in Jesus Christ or telling other people to rejoice. I want you to look at Philippians 4 down in verse 4. I often think of being in a situation of saying, you know, of being in a crisis. A crisis hits, you didn't expect this, you got some bad news from the doctor or a relative did or something economically or whatever it might be, but a crisis has hit. Well, I'm, I belong to God. I'm one of God's people. And this kind of passage applies to that whole crisis idea. Read it with me, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Why? Well, because I'm not like everybody else. The reality of being a Christian is, I've been separated by God. And I've been separated to God. I belong to Him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then notice when he goes on to say, let your moderation, and really the word here is an idea of self-control. Let it be known to everybody. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to get frantic about the crisis in my life. I'm not going to believe every bad thing, every defeat, etc., etc., because I belong to God. I am the child of God. So he says, let your moderation be known to all people. And then notice when he says, the Lord is at hand. Is God any nearer to anyone than his people? I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice. It told your love to me. Notice as he goes on in this passage, verse 6, be anxious. Here would be our panicking, 
our frantic and, and you know, uh, mindset and so forth. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then notice in verse 7, and the peace of God that passes understanding will keep or guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the experience of Christianity. Now, a lot of people out there that know the story, they can tell you, geez, oh yeah, Jesus, you know, he's supposed to have been born in Bethlehem in a manger, and they know bits and pieces and they know the story. Some will even tell you, I'm a Christian, I've gone to church all my life, etc., etc. But there are a few people on earth who live the story. The story that says, I belong to Jesus. I belong to God. I am His. And He is with me daily. And I know the Lord is near to me. And I rejoice in the Lord always, no matter the circumstances. And I pray to God about everything. No, it doesn't bother me. When a crisis hits in life, my first thought is not, how am I going to handle this on my own? My first thought is, God will take care of this. And I pray to God. Maybe I pray a lot during those times. And I cry out to God because I know the voice of God. I am His. And I have that right as His child. Just like your child has your ear. And really and truly, your child has your ear when no one else has it. If your child comes to you and says, I need you, I need to talk to you, chances are great, if you know it is something serious, you will drop anything and everything and give your attention to that child. Because they're yours. Well, we are God's. And that's what God is saying. Come to me and trust that you're mine. I love you like that. I will take care of you like that. It takes a growth of faith to get that, to that point. It's not something that just happens by a casual reading of the Gospels or whatever. It is something that you have to come to understand. It is something that comes by a lifelong commitment. God, you and I are in this together. I'm never leaving you no matter the circumstance. I know that circumstances will come. I know some of them will be at the hands of Satan. I know he will utilize everything there is to draw me away from you, but nothing is going to keep me from you. As a matter of fact, notice as it says in this passage, I long to rise. Sometimes I read those words or think those words, even when we're singing. I long to rise up. Because <laughs> that's the idea. I long to rise in the arms of faith and be even closer drawn to you. That's the idea. Look at verse 2. Consecrate me, he says. Consecrate me. Set me apart. Bring me to yourself in a sense of sanctifying. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord. Notice, by the power of grace divine, let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and my will be lost in thine. I was talking with someone this morning and talking about the idea of obeying the gospel. And most Christians, I think, I believe if we look back on our own salvation at the time we obeyed the gospel, etc., most of us would say, what I was thinking about was my sins. I knew I had sins against me. Sometimes I'll even ask someone, especially younger people, because I really want to know they understand, and I'll say, why do you want to be baptized? And I'm looking for an answer like that, because I have sins and I need them forgiven or washed away or whatever it is they say. It doesn't matter the terminology, it's just they need to understand that point. 
But you know, while most people focus on that when they obey the gospel, the truth is, the person who has been baptized, the person who is a Christian, comes to focus more on the service to the Lord than to the sins. In other words, there's two sides of it. One aspect is that I have sins, and being a Christian means my sins can be forgiven. But the other aspect of it is, being a Christian, I really am a servant of God. I really am in the service of God, and I want to focus on that. I want to focus my attention on giving my will to God and fulfilling His purpose in my life, kind of like we talked about in last year's theme. But I think if you, if you look in the New Testament... The most common description of a Christian, you remember all those words I put up there this morning? If you know me and you know what I often say, you may have found it interesting that I left out the most common term. It's not Christian. It's not saint. It's not holy one. It's certainly not priest or member of the church. The most common description of a Christian is servant. And when we read in the New Testament, we see many passages that describes service. And you'll see it translated servant and minister in the King James, and on and on it goes. But the idea is of service to God. And so the most common description being servant is something I need to embrace. I need to realize who I am. I need to embrace the fact that I have committed myself to be a servant of God. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 6 for a moment. And you know this passage. It does talk about baptism. In the beginning of Romans 6, it does talk about the fact of being raised to walk in newness of life. We see that in verses 4 through 6. But drop down with me, if you will, to verse 16. Don't you know, Paul says, that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are. To whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Don't you know that? But God be thanked, he says, that you were the servants of sin. At some point in the past, that was true. But now you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. I think he's still discussing that whole idea of baptism here and the parallel to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So you've obeyed that form of doctrine that was delivered. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Listen to the song when it is saying, Consecrate me now to your service. That's what I want to be. I don't want to just be an individual who goes through an endless cycle of sinning and being forgiven. And let the sum total of my life as a Christian be one of cycles of sin and forgiveness. You know, one of the most futile times, if you will, in the Old Testament is the book of Judges. Because God prospers those people, they do well. When they do well, they sin. When they sin, God sends an enemy or someone against them to chastise them. They cry out to God. God sends a deliverer like a Samson or whoever it might be. They get past the trouble. They prosper. They sin and they go through the cycle again. And it's just like an endless cycle where it where it never stops being that one of rising and falling, rising and falling. I'm doing great, I'm not doing great, I'm doing great, I'm not doing great. This song is saying I belong to God, and what I want is for God to consecrate me, to set me apart. I need His help, so my will, notice that in verse 2, my will will be lost in thine. I want my will to 
succumb to your will. That's what Romans 6 is talking about. It's talking about this idea of being a servant, and it's talking about the idea of yielding yourself to God. But you know, it starts with your will. It starts with a change of will. It starts with a person acknowledging. Think of Jesus in the garden. Father, I don't want to go through this. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I think that's fine. If Jesus can pray that, you and I can pray that. Whatever trouble, whatever crisis comes along in life, whatever hard thing, or if you want to call it a bad thing, comes along, I think it's right for us to say to God, I don't want to go through this. And if it's possible, take this away from me. Or even to say, like Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Even to say, please don't ever let me go through this. I pray that. I probably pray that nearly every day. Because there are certain things in life I never want to have to go through. And with God's grace, I won't. I think it's fine to pray that, but also remember what Jesus prayed. It's not a deal or a bargain. You certainly are not saying to God, and Jesus wasn't saying, if you make me, if you don't let me go through this, then I'll do anything you want me to do. That's not the point. Nevertheless, whatever happens, your will, not mine. We see that in the garden. We see Jesus praying that. Let thy will be done, not mine. It's the idea like Paul in Acts 9. And I'm not going to turn over there, but you know that story. Here is Paul on the way to Damascus. He's going to persecute more Christians, perhaps kill, kill more Christians. And Jesus meets him on the road. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you, Lord? Yeah. I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he realizes he recognizes he's been wrong, dead wrong, horribly wrong. He's imprisoned people and killed people. He's hurt people. And he was wrong. And he's not arrogant about it. And he doesn't argue. And he doesn't, you know, take exception. Oh, you're not really Jesus. You're some figment of my imagination. Or you're Satan trying to come get me off track. Or whatever. He doesn't do any of that. He just humbles himself before Jesus and he says, What will you have me to do. And I honestly believe no matter what Jesus had said, he would have done. And I mean that. I don't think there's anything. I think if Jesus said, you know, you've done so much bad, go jump off that cliff, he would have done anything. And that's the way we have to be. I don't want to go through this. But I will if that's what you want. I don't want to have to suffer this. I don't want to be put in a situation where you tell me something that makes no sense to me, go take Isaac out and sacrifice him. I don't want to be in that situation. Please, don't put me in that situation. Well, what if I am? Consecrate me to your service, even if it is something as hard as that. And let your will be done. Because you see, the point is, I have to honestly ask myself, what do I really want? And I mean that. And if what I really want is a pleasant life, no problems, no challenges, no anything, you can somewhat have that kind of life. You can avoid every challenge, every hardship, pretty much. You just have to not care about anybody or anything or never try to accomplish anything. You just have to sit back and let everybody else take care of you. You know where I'm going with that. 
And you can avoid all kinds of challenges, all kinds of difficulties that many people go through. Well, what kind of life is that? Is that what you want? It's not what I want. And I don't think it's what probably everybody in here, I don't think it's what you want. So if all that's the case then, is life going to get hard sometimes? Yeah, it's going to get hard. But who's in control of all of that? God is. Does God know what's best? Yes. Do I believe that? And am I willing to say to the Lord, you just consecrate me to your service. Let my will be lost in yours. And whatever you want, that with your help, I'll do the best I can to do that. Now that's a life of peace. Once we come to that, and that is 100% real, you know, for you in your way of thinking is very peaceful. Because anything that comes, you say, well, God's in control of this. God's got this. And since the Lord has got this, I don't have to worry about it. The Lord will take care of it. I don't know how. Abraham didn't know how. Abraham reasoned, well, I'll go out here and kill him. It makes no sense, but I'll kill him and God will raise him from the dead. Well, that's not how he chose to do it. But he took care of it. And he'll take care of whatever it is that challenges you in your life. And you know, when you belong to God and you acknowledge that and feel that, and when your will is given to God, whatever God wants, not what I want, but what you want, God, you develop a real friendship. Because it's a friendship of trusting. It's also a friendship where you know the one in control has been there. And he will go on being there. Read with me verse 3. And verse 3 is my favorite verse, and I happen to know at least one other person in here. It's your favorite verse. But verse 3 says, Oh, the pure delight of a single hour. And I want you to listen to this and really think about your prayer life. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend. When I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friends. We were talking downstairs quite a bit about prayer. And we got to talking about how we know people. For example, we have a couple of people that are in my Sunday morning class and they commute. And I know you guys, a lot of you do too. And when you commute to work, and especially, you know, if you're someone that does like a lot of people here, around it here do, um, if you get up anywhere around 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, even up to 9 o'clock and drive down the streets, you see all these people walking down to this train station or the bus station. And they get on the bus and they get on the train and they go to work. Now, I got to thinking about that. And I thought, most probably, these people, they're taking off walking. They probably leave the house about the same time every day. They walk down to the train probably with the same people every day. They get on the train. Chances are great they sit by the same people every day. And you know what happens in most of those situations like that? It's kind of like, for me, the parallel to that would be, oh, the local grocery store that I go to, and I see the same cashier, you know, maybe on a weekly or bi-monthly basis, and, and on and on. And you know what happens in all those situations? Basically, you know those people. That is, you recognize them. And you speak, and maybe what it amounts to is you're kind of coming out of your street, they're coming out of their street, 
both of you are going to the train, and you maybe say, hey, good morning, good to see you. And you sometimes you even learn their name. Hey, Jack, hey, you know, that kind of thing. You get on the train, etc., and that's what it amounts to, day after day after day after day. Perhaps it even goes so far as you know that person and you may even strike up a conversation and both of you find out you're, you know, sports fans. You like the same team. So you say a little something about the team every day. And it might be that you learn that he has children and you have children and his child's about the same age and they go to this school and your child goes to that school. How are they doing, etc. And that, and it goes that far. And that's all it ever does. And as we talked about it downstairs, I said, now, let's think about it for a moment. Let's talk about prayer. Is my prayer, my prayer life, is it one where maybe I start off my day and or end my day? For some people it's one or the other, for some people it's both. And I say a prayer that pretty much amounts to the same thing. Maybe in the morning it is, you know, God be with me today, help me to prosper, whatever it might be. And I find myself saying the same thing every day. And I find myself doing it, as some people would admit, you know, I pray while I'm shaving. And I'm kind of looking in the mirror, and I'm shaving, and I'm praying, and I'm pretty much hitting the same spots on the same face at the same time, and praying the same thing as I hit those spots. And I'm not even really thinking about it because it's what I've done 10,000 times before. Maybe I say a prayer or two when I eat my meal, and I say the same thing. God, thank you for this food. You know, bless it to the nourishment of my body, and I don't really even think about it. And I said, you know, if that's the sum total of my prayer life, then really does it amount to much more than the guy I meet on the street headed for the train at the same time that I don't even know. I just kind of throw my hand up and say, Hey, Jack, how about those mess last night? Or whatever. But we don't really even know each other. When you look at verse 3 of this song, this song is not talking about that. This song is talking about the precious time you get with the person you love so much, and it is pure delight. If you love your spouse, and you have a set time to have a date each week, I don't care if it's just sitting down in the living room watching the San Antonio Spurs blow up, wait, no, I won't go there, but watching them, you know, and you're sitting there and you're eating a pizza or whatever and watching the Spurs together and you're laughing and talking, it's precious. Is pure delight. And you can't think of any place you'd rather be or anything you'd rather be doing or anybody you'd rather be spending time with. That's what he's talking about here. The time that I take for prayer is an hour of pure delight. And when I kneel in prayer, and with you, notice he says, and he makes it personal, and with you, my God, like my wife, my best friend, my this, my that. The time I spend with you, I commune. Commune means I share that time as friend with friend. When we look at relationships on earth, they range from the purely casual to the very deepest. And we have all kinds of terms for them. 
We say someone is a casual acquaintance. We say someone is a dear friend. We say someone is, you know, I mean, we have all those terms for how close, how best, how much we're tied together. And whether you speak of it biblically or poetically or personally, we all know what those terms mean. If I come up to you and I say, the very best friend I ever had in my life, such and such, so and so, you know that ain't Jack on the street. We understand that. And it's like the Bible. 1 Samuel 18 and verse 1, when it talks about Jonathan and David, and it talks about Jonathan's soul was knit or tied together with David's soul. Do any of us miss that? How close they were. And when the Bible speaks, and when Jesus speaks in John 15, and down in verse 13, he says, I haven't just called you servants, I've called you friends. And greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. When you love someone so much that you would not think twice about risking your life for that person. And I know there are people like that, probably for everybody in here. If the building were burning and you knew that person you loved and didn't want to live without was in that burning building, even if people were trying to hold you back, you would be fighting them to get in there. Because you don't want life to go on without them. We understand that closeness. That's the point of the pure delight. Now, honestly, and I have to ask myself this, honestly, is that my prayer life with God when I listen to what the Bible speaks of, the closeness of prayer, Jesus rose up a long while before it was dead. Jesus went out and prayed, Mark 1 and verse 35, all night. You ever ask yourself or thought to yourself, because I have, how do you pray all night? But you know when you grow you get to the point. Just like your relationships grow on earth. You ever been in a conversation with a person that's, you know, one of the closest people to you on earth and hours go by? And you don't even realize Wow! You know what time it is! And you weren't thinking about the drudgery. You weren't thinking. I mean, it just seemed to fly by. Because you're that close. I commute as friend with friend. One final point here. Look with me at verse 4. He says, There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea. And I think he speaks of death here. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. That's an honest admission. And when you look at that, one of the things that you have to realize about Christianity, and I think it's very important to realize, for some of us especially, but you have to realize and be okay, be at peace with the fact that you're not going to be perfect, no matter how hard you try. You're not going to know everything, no matter how brilliant you are and how much you try. And that you are not going to reach the level of God on this earth, no matter how hard you try. 
And one of the things I love about this song is we go through all of this, I am yours. We go through this, let my will be lost in yours. Let me commune as friend of friend. And you're looking at the first three verses, and the first three verses are, man, close, deep, strong Christian. But let's not forget verse 4. The simplest verse of all, I'm not going to know everything. I am not going to experience everything. I am not going to be everything that someday I will be. You think about passages in the Bible. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. I remember every time I think of that verse, I remember Dale reading that verse and answer to me really pressing him, what's the answer about this? You know, and there just wasn't an answer. And he said, let's read this verse. The secret things belong unto the Lord. And that's right. Because no matter how brilliant you are, you are never going to be God. And He will know things that you do not know. He can think like you cannot think. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me for a moment. Isaiah chapter 55. When God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Now, go back to the I am thine. I've heard your voice, but I long to rise. I want my faith to grow deeper and deeper. Because I don't want it to be a casual thing where I, even though I know I can't know everything, I can't experience it, I never can reach the level of joy or love or those things that God can reach. I cannot reach them here. I can't love somebody like God will love them. I'd like to. You know, when I look at the people on this second bench up here and I think about how much I love them, but I, I find myself saying a lot of times, no matter how much you love them, God loves them more. And you cannot love them as God can love them. You cannot have the peace that God can have. I think of Jesus in that crisis in the garden. Let this cup pass from me. I've been there. I know you've been there. Then, man, when the answer is no, just get up, bam, let's go. And never look back. That's God's answer. That's God's decision. Now, I'm not there. And I don't know that I will ever be there. I know that I can get stronger. I know that my will can be more in service or more given to God's will. I know that I can relinquish my will and more and more and more follow the will of God. But I don't know if I will ever get to the point like Jesus, I don't want to do this. Oh, I've got you. Great. Here, let's go. I understand it to a point, to a degree. But never look back. Never shrink back. When you think of the, the peace that passes understanding, the joy that fills to overflowing, just borrowing different phrases from the Bible, when we think of those kinds of phrases and what they imply, it's a matter of growth to get closer and closer and closer and yet never still be like God. I know there are depths of love I'll never reach. I know there are heights of joy I'll never experience. I know that. But still, I want to get closer and closer and be more like Him. Because really, what we're headed for, notice as the song, as verse 4 says, till I cross the narrow sea. There's a great comfort in knowing what I don't understand and cannot understand now, I will. I mean, obviously, the older I get, the more I contemplate death. What will it be like? 
What will it feel like? What will the first moments after you leave this world and go to the next, what will they be like? I'm not saying I'm morbidly afraid of it. I'm, I'm curious. But no matter how much I search, no matter where I would go on earth to try or in the Bible to try to find the answer to that, it's not there. I cannot know that until I experience it. And so, what the writer of this song, I think, was saying is grow closer to God. Rise up in the arms of faith. Give your will to God. Trust Him. Be the kind of person that develops that relationship so that when you pray, it is two friends in communication. But always remember, you are a child, and He is God. And the answers that he has, even for the different things and times in this life. You know, there was a time when every day throughout the day I thought about, will I ever be married? Will I ever find somebody? Will there ever be anybody for me? Is there anybody who could ever put up with me? You know, I went through all that. Did you go through something like that? And then one day, here is this beautiful person... God says, see, I had you covered, Michael, all along. Just trust me on things like this. So many other things in life like that. I know that there are things I will never know. But I know my God has all the answers. Close with me, if you will, by looking at the chorus. Draw me nearer, the writer says. Nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious, bleeding side. And you know there's an instant meaning of this chorus that says, draw me nearer so I understand he shed his blood for me and help me so I can give my life to him. But even beyond that, if he would do that for me, what will he not do? in every situation of life. Just draw me nearer, and I'll be fine. If you're tonight and you're not a Christian, you believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God. You'll confess that belief and be willing to give your life to the Lord. You'll be baptized, to be forgiven, to have all of your sins washed away. If you're here and you need to come, we beg you to come.